scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, starting with verse 25. And you can find this on page 691 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided in the chair pockets or at the end of the aisles. Again, that's Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's word. Around 400 AD, one of my spiritual heroes, uh, Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, wrote what is likely and what is widely considered the first autobiography in the Western world. It's called Confessions. And he didn't just tell people about himself in this autobiography. He told the most embarrassing parts about himself and his life, including a torrent love affair with a mistress that he had a really hard time leaving. Many times as he told her, I'm done. He, he talked about how he, he stole pears from a pear orchard. Not to eat, not because they looked good to taste. In fact, they looked pretty awful. But he stole them simply for the sheer thrill of stealing. The excitement for doing what is wrong. All here in his memoirs. Today, such revelations, such sort of self-disclosing, embarrassing revelations are just a day in the life, social media life of a Kardashian West household maybe. But not for most of us, right? We don't want to reveal all the stuff of our lives. Especially, think about it for a guy like Augustine. There's no precedent for this kind of thing, a a tell-all book about your life. And yet he exposed himself. He let himself out there. Why? Because... He knew himself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he wanted other Christians to know themselves also. So he says in this book, The Confessions, how can you draw close to God when you are far off from your own self? If you don't know yourself, you know what's in here, how can you then connect with God? So he prayed, grant, O Lord, that I may know myself, that I might know thee, that I may know thee. Augustine asked God for help. He prayed because he knew how difficult it is to know yourself. Right? 
all the unspoken desires, the, the underlying motives, the conflicting emotions and thoughts, the relationships we choose, and how that kind of defines us. We have a hard time sometimes saying, well, who are we really? If God could only give us like an x-ray, right, that would expose who we are deep inside ourselves, that would be nice, right? And the reality is he has. He's given us such a tool, and it's called anxiety. Anxiety. What is anxiety? Anxiety, there's a lot of definitions out there. This is my simplified, synthesized definition here. Anxiety is continually thinking on something that hasn't yet happened and may never happen. Continually thinking on something that hasn't yet happened and may never happen. It usually comes in a variety of ways and forms. Some of us experience anxiety through physical symptoms like acid reflux, rising blood pressure, sweating, ulcers, rashes, insomnia. How many of you guys have had a sleepless night this year because you were anxious? Raise your hand. Yeah. Its subjects includes tomorrow's exam or performance review, what people think of me, if I do say show up to this, a series of backup plans, will my savings account last through Christmas, my children, my spouse, my dog, my lease, my purpose, my legacy, from the everyday stuff to the existential questions. These things cause anxiety in our lives. And Jesus, interestingly enough, doesn't outright condemn other emotions like sadness or anger. He qualifies them. He never outright condemns them. But, as we see this morning, he outright commands us, do not be anxious about your life. Paul commands us in the New Testament, do not be anxious about anything. And so while by God's grace we want to not be, we want to move from anxiety to peace, as we're commanded to do, I believe getting there starts with identifying God's silver lining of anxiety in our lives. God, I have anxiety. It's a reality in my life. I can't just shoo it away. I can't turn an on-off switch and make it go away. What then do I do with it? First of all, we have to see it for what it is, acknowledge it for what it is. So each Sunday, we've been examining our emotions and how the bad ones aren't so bad. God has given, has, done, has some good purpose for plopping down that emotion in our life. Whether it be apathy, anxiety, sadness, or anger. This week we're talking about anxiety. And each week, I've tried to give you a, a, I'm trying to give you a sort of word picture to help us think about, see, and remember God's good purpose with even a negative emotion. There's a silver lining with every negative emotion. And so... God gave us anxiety as an x-ray. Last week, we looked at apathy. You remember that? It was God's waiting room. Apathy serves as God's waiting room. This week, anxiety, an x-ray into our lives. What we should do, what we should worship, what needs to be made right. What I want to do this morning is address and apply Jesus' words to three different groups of people, all of whom are, are affected by anxiety to some degree. First, I want to address the happy-go-lucky among us. Second, I want to address the hyper-responsible. And third, I want to address the traumatized. And I do this, I know, at the risk of, of labeling you, of putting you into a category. I know we hate that. But I think if we can honestly locate ourselves somewhere, we can begin to work through anxiety. We can face our anxiety with God, push through it in a way that brings peace into our lives. So at least... Run with this experiment for me. Try to see yourselves in one of these three groups. 
what you're going to hear this morning isn't going to be a step-by-step guide for managing anxiety. It's not going to be a seminar for how to do that. Instead, it's meant to help us see how to use anxiety, to use it, to direct us towards a more perfect peace that can only be found through Jesus Christ, all right? So first, I want to address, and this is how great, by the way, addressing different groups is. I know some of you guys have ADD like me. So really, if you're not in this group, you don't really have to pay attention. You really only have to pay attention for like 10 minutes of the sermon, all right, if you're not in this group. So good news for you, right? So if you're in the happy-go-lucky, this is your time to pay attention. This describes you. This is the person who's unaffected by almost any potentially negative outcome. Excessive work is avoided, and stray dogs are petted, right? They may even be adopted, right? You don't care. You just love them. It was great. You probably won't cause any relational tension in your groups. You're known as the, the cool guy or the chill dude or gal, whatever. On the other hand, by avoiding or just plain overlooking seriously negative outcomes, you often miss the needs and feelings of others and remain relatively carefree to the spiritual lostness of hundreds around you every day. Because you're carefree. Literally carefree. What does Jesus' teaching on anxiety say to you? So for the indomitable Kimmy Kimmy Smiths of the world, the positive, happy-go-lucky folks, you are going to love this passage, right? You read this, and you're like, yes. Look, Jesus talks about how we basically don't even have to work. It's wonderful, right? Birds don't prepare their own food. Flowers are on welfare. Wonderful. This sounds like the great life. I want to point you, though, to verse 34. And by the way, Jesus, his point in bringing up birds and flowers isn't to say, look, these people don't have, these things don't have to work. It's actually really to highlight God's provision, even though they don't have to work, even though you farm, God will still provide. That's beside the point. I want us to look at verse 34, where we hear sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, which is good news, right? But maybe we've never looked at this verse this way before, especially for the happy-go-lucky, that each day has its own trouble. (laughs) There is sufficient trouble both today and tomorrow. Now, most of us realize that. We realize that intensely. But there's some of us among us who are wired this way, that we're so sanguine, we're so life is a lark, that we don't necessarily quickly pick up on trouble quickly. But yet, Jesus says, there's trouble today and tomorrow. A sufficient amount, mind you. You see, the slightest bit of concern or anxiety is something to avoid in your life. You quickly dismiss You can continue just smiling in your life, just moving on, smiling and profiling. For you, I think God's purpose is is that slightest bit of concern or anxiety that does come up is this. This is the this is what anxiety reveals. It it exposes the day's trouble. And trouble exposes what you need to tackle that day. God may want to move us from anxiety, but he doesn't want it to, to just have us get rid of all legitimate concerns or trouble in our lives when they come up, right? Because that would be unloving towards people. That would be not taking even care of yourself. The Apostle Paul wrote about his own life. He says, besides everything else I have to deal with, everything else I face, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 
I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. And that word concern can just as easily be translated and is, and often translated as anxiety. I'm anxious for all the churches. I care about them. They, they matter to me, so they, they do so. They, they raise my blood pressure sometimes. They keep me up at night a little bit. There are people, situations, institutions that should elicit initial worry and concern. We should be concerned about the injustice done to others and ourselves. Concerned about the choices of our family and our children. Now, as an important side, we are great justifiers of worry in our lives. For example, you may be concerned that your children understand the true meaning of Christmas. I'm concerned about that. However, underneath that concern is the worry of how much money you're going to have to spend on getting presents for Christmas. Guys, I'm concerned you get the true meaning of Christmas, not too many presents, simplification, but you know deep down under that, you're just worried about spending too much money, right? But to the happy-go-lucky, every day there's a sufficient amount of trouble God wants you to address or tackle. It may be confronting the destructive behavior of a friend. It may be disciplining your child, who's your best buddy, and you'd rather not. Maybe taking responsibility to care for someone who needs your help. You might be standing up for Jesus in the workplace when you know you need to. My, my encouragement is let that anxiety expose the trouble that you need to tackle. And here is how God addresses anxiety with peace. Good news. You can keep on not being anxious about tomorrow. Just as each day has, enough, has sufficient trouble that you need to tackle, so too does God provide sufficient grace to tackle it. So there's sufficient trouble for each day, there's sufficient grace to meet that trouble. God says to the Apostle Paul, Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That means God is going to give you the strength to meet that trouble. He's going to give you the wisdom to suss through how you're going to deal with that situation that's a little bit uncomfortable. And he's going to give you the peace afterwards to know I did the right thing and please God. God never asks us to borrow tomorrow's trouble with today's grace. To bear tomorrow's trouble with today's grace. In Jesus, you have an example not only to follow, but a power to follow through with it and meet that day's trouble. Jesus' teaching also, though, addresses those of us who are hyper-responsible. And that's probably going to be most of us here. Most of us here are hyper-responsible people. You take most griefs and burdens seriously. The state of your finances bothers you, thinking not just so much, how am I going to get to the end of this month, but how am I going to save for my child's education, my child who's one year old? (laughs) How am I going to save for my retirement 40 years from now? You're thinking about it. You feel an inflated sense of responsibility. If you don't get it done, if you don't care for that person, no one will. One friend recently expressed to me that he not only has plans, but he has backup plans. Not only, and then not only does he have backup plans, he has another backup plan for the backup plan. You are such a person. Also, such people spread around even a whiff of bad news. Whether it's confirmed or not, they just spread around. That is an object of their anxiety. What does Jesus' teaching on anxiety say to you? What does it expose? Anxiety exposes what you fear And what you fear exposes what you worship. Anxiety exposes what you fear, what you deeply want to avoid, or you deeply care about. Either one. 
exposes what you fear, and what you fear exposes really what you worship deep down. See, anxiety reveals a problem with idolatry. I don't know what you think when you hear the word idolatry, but idolatry goes beyond like stone statues and little wooden figures. It's anything we put in the place of God, anything we look to to satisfy our deepest longings and, and form our identity, becomes who we are. We worship whatever that is. We love, we give our emotions, we care about. Sometimes we, 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 we step away from because we respect it so much. We worship it. Jesus is a concern for idolatry. Look at the context of what we read this morning. Notice what leads into Jesus' teaching. Verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7. No one can serve two masters. So this is right before our passage this morning. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you. So Jesus is connecting these two teachings, right? So when you're reading the Bible, it's great as sort of a study habit to pay attention to words like therefore. Jesus is taking one principle and he's connecting it. He's saying as a result of this, here's a way to apply this to your life. Jesus is saying, look, you cannot give your heart, you cannot find your deepest longing in money, though so many do. So many do. Therefore, for those of you who are even worried about your basic necessities, getting enough money to meet your basic necessities, here's what I have to say to you. He's concerned about our worship. I talked to one counselor this week who shared about how anxiety causes a physiological change to the brain. So neuroplasticity of the brain means that, that brains are not static. You can actually, through thinking and through different exercises, and through the way that you spend your time, you can actually have your brain rewired, as it were, which is a wonderful thing. And that rewiring can change our behavior. But anxiety, compounded by anxiety, actually creates a kind of a real trench or ditch running through our brains, through our minds. Everyone knows the purpose of a ditch, right? What does a ditch do? It it, it catches, right, all the runoff rain. Everything that's running off funnels in to a ditch or a trench. That's what it's meant to do. And that's what an anxious trench does. You can actually see it when you look at the brain. It catches all the stray and runoff thoughts in our mind and assigns them to anxiety. There's another thing to worry about. There's another thing I have to take care of. There's another thing I have to do. There's another person I need to care for. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I haven't gotten to this. I can't believe I've never heard about this before. And your mind keeps running and running and running. It's going all into the ditch of anxiety. And the good news, though, of course, is that that means our brains have potential to change. And and God wants to change our thinking. He wants to create a new trench that catches our runoff thoughts. So this is how we see how how God wants to begin to address our anxiety with peace. First of all, one of the, the thoughts we need to think after God is to know him as Father. Many of us have known God as sort of a capricious, lightning bolt Zeus character who's ready to strike us at any time. Other people look at God as like their foreman or taskmaster at work. And he's checking a list and he's looking out. And he's going to bless us if we do well. We're going to get a raise if we do well. We're going to get punished if we don't. Few of us think of God as Father. Verse 31 and 32, let's look at that together. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So three questions here. Your Heavenly Father knows you need them all. 
Well, actually, let me say this first. The word translated seek here, the Gentiles seek after all such things, epizeteo. It comes from seeking, zeteo, and epi, which means intense. So there's an intense seeking going on by people who don't know God for things. For example, money. We covered that earlier, right? There's this intense seeking. People intensely store up food. They store up clothing. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So three questions. Is he Father to you? Is he heavenly? And is he yours? Is he Father? Is he heavenly? Is he yours? Is he your Father? Is he Father? Is that how you know him? Is that how you think of him? What I find interesting is Jesus ends this phrase by saying, oh, you of little faith. Right? What shall we... Actually, he says this earlier, God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown in the oven. We not much clothe, much more clothe you, O you of little faith. And that is a rebuke by Jesus. But he's emphasizing not the absence of faith, just the deficiency of faith. Which means that the Father is going to provide for your life, even if you had the tiniest amount of, your, of faith. That's the kind of God that he wants to be to you. He's a true Father. He's going to provide no matter what. Whether you say yes, sir, no, sir. Whether you put your elbows on the table at dinner, whether you forget to clean up your room, he's still going to provide for you. Do you know him like that? That's a true father. Is he heavenly? Do you believe what the Bible says in Colossians 3.17 that in him all things hold together in the universe? Is he in control, really? And finally, is he yours? Is he your father? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you talk to him regularly? Do you have familiarity with him and a love for him? Because as you think of God in that way, it will rewire your thinking in your mind. You, you create a ditch, a trench, as it were, for peace, not anxiety. Another way God addresses anxiety with peace is through prayer and thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful promise. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Let's be practical about this. A little bit practical. What is it right now that you're holding in your hand? Andy Christie. Cell phone. There you go. Smartphone. He's just looking up the scripture. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I love that. I want each of you guys, take it out. If you don't have it with you, I want you to take out your cell phone, your smartphone. Go ahead. You want to take it out. Because I want us to consider our smartphones for a moment. This is one of the greatest sources of anxiety in our modern life. Right? FOMO, fear of missing out. You see beautiful people, they're doing beautiful things. Why am I not there? Right? You compare and despair. Look at their lives, God. They seem so happy. Why? We don't really say that. But, but deep down, that's, that's a brief, brief thought we have. A little bit of bitterness, a little bit of anger. Bad news everywhere from our smartphones. Requests for help. Always more we can do. Always something to say through social media. Our smartphone is a kind of Pandora's, Pandora's box for idolatrous anxiety. You open it up and there's all kinds of things you can worship. All kinds of ways you can be anxious in your life. So right now, here are the apps I have open on my phone. And by the way, I'm not going to suggest this morning that you just do a moratorium on your smartphone. I'm not going to go there. Rather, what I want us to consider is to engage this source of anxiety with prayer and thanksgiving in a new way, a way you've never maybe thought about a relationship with your phone before, all right? Here we go. Right now, here are the apps that are open on my phone. 
I've got a news app, okay? I've got a news app open, which is a story about Cuba. Am I praying for those in Cuba who just watched Fidel Castro's ashes pass by them, right? That their lives would no longer be lived under unjust, corrupt corruption, right? All right, I have also Facebook out, right? Am I thanking God for the people on my history feed for, for Facebook? Am I thanking God for these lives of these people I know, maybe people I haven't seen in a long time? I have WhatsApp open. Am I asking God, is there someone you would like for me to encourage or reach out to when I open this app? I have my calendar open. Am I praying for the appointments I have, that God would give me wisdom and love for the people I meet with? What I want us to do is consider, because we have this in our hands so often, and I'm not asking you to take it away, is to start a new trench in our mind by, by taking a minute of silence. We're even going to do this now. We're going to take a minute of silence, and what I want us to do is prayerfully engage with our technology. All right, I gave you some ways to do it. So you have your phone out. I'm assuming you have apps. Move through a couple and prayerfully engage with them right now, okay? Let's do it together. If you don't have a phone, just pretend, all right? Just go like this. People look at you weird. You probably left it somewhere, maybe in your car. But let's begin to, let's prayerfully move through, thankfully move through what could be an anxiety and lift it up to God. Amen. I don't know about you. I just prayed for and thank God for a lot of people in a marathon this morning. But uh, grateful for that. But, but if this becomes a habit in your life, don't be surprised to see God's peace and wisdom start to flood your mind in your relationship with this technology. All right. Finally, let me get one, one, more, one more crowd I need to address. The traumatized. Jesus' teaching can address those traumatized. What do I mean? For a handful of us, anxiety doesn't stem from idolatry or poor worship or from a past hurt. Some of you have a history of enduring abuse in some way, shape, or form. A history of addiction. Some of you grew up with little to no encouragement or affection. Some of you have been deeply affected by a disease or a mental illness. And I'm sure there's plenty of traumas out there I'm not even listing or thinking of. Perhaps you have experienced some for yourself. And it causes deep anxiety in our lives. We, we wonder about our acceptance from other people and especially from God. We wonder about our future. We wonder about getting well again. We wonder, will this happen to me again? All of these things are to flood our mind for those of us who have endured trauma. And what does Jesus' teaching on anxiety say to you? Here's the x-ray. Anxiety exposes what hurts and what hurts needs to be made right. Anxiety exposes what hurts in you and what hurts needs to be made right. Jesus gives his most significant antidotal promise on anxiety in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So we have this promise of provision, but what does it look like to really seek God's kingdom and seek his righteousness? Well, first of all, it means to seek. To seek it out on our own strength. Let me ask you the question, can a person seek God's kingdom? And can a person individually live up to God's righteousness? Heck no. No one here can. No one can do it. We, we try and we try and we try and we fall short again and again. And that's the Bible's consistent teaching. We try to be kingdom people. We try to live up to what's right and we can't do it. And this teaching, which is interesting, is, is located in this larger teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asks us to do things like love our enemies. He asks us to do things like turn the other cheek. He asks us to do things like be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do those sound like achievable things to you? 
on your own strength, you should be saying, no. <laughs> Especially the be perfect. I mean, you guys must be doing well, but I cannot be perfect. The Heavenly Father is perfect. So what is Jesus doing? I think one of the things he's doing is teaching is one big setup. In one sense, it's a setup. We need to experience the inability to live out what is right. The inability on our own to do what Jesus commands. We can't do it. And that's why in his teaching, Jesus actually says in Matthew chapter 5, I have come not to abolish the law, but fulfill it. It's almost the only time Jesus talks about himself in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's pointing, he's saying, I'm the one who can do it. I'm the one who can fulfill and do what's right when you cannot. Only I can. Jesus is saying, look, try and do the right things, but as you try, you're going to fail. And that's when you're going to see your need for a Savior in your life. One who fulfilled all the right living that you and I cannot. That's important. God addresses anxiety with peace. Jesus wants to invade your life as king and make all things right. He wants to make all things right. So when you bow the knee to King Jesus, the first thing he does is make you right with him. We can't do right on our own. Jesus lived rightly so that he could be our representative and make us right. The Bible says that God made him, Jesus who had no sin, to be sin for us on the cross so that in Jesus we might have the righteousness of God. We might become right with God. See that? So how do you seek God's righteousness? You bow the knee to King Jesus, and Jesus gives you his righteousness. That is, that is the best way to seek righteousness in your life and thus be confident that all these things will be given to you as well. Consider how practical this is, by the way. The root of almost all anxiety, at least for me, is who or what can I really rely on? Who or what can I really rely on? Because if I could really rely on something or someone, I wouldn't ever have to worry. If you've trusted Jesus, you know that the Father is for you, with you, and you never have to worry again about him providing for your life. And then he sets about making all things right. So he makes you right with him, then he sets about making all things right in your life. Interestingly, the New Testament seems to talk most frequently about King Jesus writing our minds. The one thing he really wants to write in us is our thinking, our minds. Ephesians, I'm going to lift the, list these off. Ephesians 4.23, Colossians 3.10, Romans 12.2, 2 Corinthians 4.16, all speak to this inward renewal of our minds and making them right. What's Jesus doing? He's making that trench of peace. He's digging that trench of peace. When you bow the knee to him, all those thoughts of anxieties start to go into a trench of peace. And you recognize, wait a minute, no. He's for me. He is with me. He is doing something in me. And that's not everything when it comes to trauma, but it's a great start. God's plan has always been to make things right through a perfectly lived life by Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah foresaw this 600 years ago. Listen to what he said, Isaiah 32, 17. The effect of of righteousness. In that day when Jesus comes, the effect of righteousness will be peace. The result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. So the effect of being right with God will be peace. The result of righteousness, quietness, trust forever. Friends, your anxiety is exposing something in you. For some, it's exposing something you've got to tackle today. 
For most of us, it's exposing what we worship. For some, it's just exposing what needs to be made right. And it'll be tempting to manage your emotions, right? Through controlled breathing, managing your, your caffeine at night, your intake of caffeine, not eating fatty foods, establishing an exercise routine, all of which can be helpful, but none of which can expel what ails us. Before departing from this earth, Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Jesus doesn't give seminars on peace. He doesn't give through controlled breathing. Instead, to the happy-go-lucky, to face up to today's sufficient trouble with his sufficient grace, to the hyper-responsible, rethink God as your Father, directing prayer and thanksgiving about the sources of your anxiety to him. For those of us who've been traumatized and anxious as a result, the invasion of King Jesus into your life so that he can make all things right. These things can bring that perfect peace that you're longing for. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to think about something that really troubles us, and that's anxiety, and to think about it from a new perspective. That is not all bad. God, change our thinking even about anxiety, that it can actually expose what's going on in our hearts, that it can expose what's going on in our lives. It's that x-ray that says, here's a problem, and here's where Jesus can address it. So God, I pray that each of us would go home, and when we start to feel anxious, remember what you're teaching, Jesus says to us, what you're teaching about being a father, about providing all things, about being a sufficient God for our lives, and to give us just enough trouble that we can handle. We thank you, Jesus, ultimately that you are our peace and make us right with you. We praise you for this in your name, Jesus. Amen.